So when Steve asked me uh, if I would teach, uh, I said yes, and he said, what do you want to teach on? And I said, almost without hesitancy, I said, Mormonism. And he said, okay, cool. And the whole reason I did that was because when I first met my wife, uh, she told me that she grew up in the Mormon church. And so I was like, dude, I've got this. I've got an in. This is going to be awesome because like, I won't, I won't even uh, have to study because she'll just tell me all the stuff. I'm just kidding. I didn't study anyways. No, I'm just joking. Uh, so she, uh, so I, I got home and I said, hey, I need you to tell me everything you know about Mormonism. And she goes, I was there when I was like four and left when I was like six. I was like, oh, you're no help. So, so I got a lot of books and I did a lot of reading and here I am. Um, but the funny thing is, is that when Jana and I got married, uh, we got married and then our first place that we lived was an apartment. And uh, we ended up getting a knock on our door at this apartment and it was two Mormon missionaries and they said, hi, is Janice Swanson here? And I'm like, what? How did you guys find us? How do you know where my wife lives? She, like, literally, my wife hadn't been in the church since she was six. And, they, and we got married. She's an adult. And her last name changed from Swanson to Clark. And we are in this apartment. And they knew where to find us. And I was like, hey, I was like, we're actually part of this church called Ecclesia. We're very happy there. I was like, I was like really, really nice. And I was like, thanks for stopping by. Uh, hope you have a great day. See you later. They showed up two more times at that apartment. And the third time was this uh, lady who was a little bit older than I was. And I said, hey, I'm trying to be really nice. I've asked you guys to like leave us alone. Is there any kind of like, obviously you guys have us on the books. Can you please take us off of the books? Can you please leave us alone? And she's like, oh, okay. I'm not sure how to really do that, but I'll make some calls or whatever. And, and I see her like on her cell phone in the car and I'm like, okay, it's, it's taken care of. It's kind of weird that she doesn't know how to take us off of the books but they know how to keep us on there for all of eternity. So, uh, so years go by, years and years and years. My wife and I have been married for 15 years. And uh, thank you. And uh, about three years ago, I have two young ladies show up at my front door and they say, hey, is Janice Swanson here? This is, we're 13 years into marriage and we have a kid. And at that time, we only had one. And we, uh, my wife is giving her a bath in the bathtub. And I said, there's no Jana Swanson here. There's a Jana Clark here. And she's giving our uh, daughter a bath. And the two, the two girls who were like college age girls, they go, wait, what? And they like looked at their notes. And I'm like, I'm like, or they said, we're from the Mormon like college ministry. So we're here to like see if your wife wants to come back to the church. And I'm like, my wife's been graduated from college for like a decade now. And we've got, we actually have a baby now. And they were like looking through their notes. They're like, I don't know what to do about this. And so they're like super confused. And I was like, please, just please leave us alone. Please leave us alone. Uh, and then we got visited again. But anyways, they, they are relentless and uh so i'm actually kind of excited that i get to go through this with you guys because i can share my personal experience but then i can also uh share 
uh, everything that I've learned about them because I, I kind of have this personal like, all right, let's, let's go, guys. You know, if you're going to come after me, I'm going for you too. So not that I'm going to like take them down. That's not what I mean. We are going to go through methodically tonight about what uh, uh, Mormonism or the LDS church believes and what we as Ecclesia and uh, followers of Jesus believe. So let me give you guys a little bit of history first. The Mormon church started in 1830 by a man named Joseph Smith. This man, Joseph Smith, had a fourth grade education. He was a mystic or someone who believed in magic and superstition. Uh, and he was a treasure hunter. Joseph Smith's family was also known for counterfeiting money, uh, but became a consultants for the state in order to avoid penalties. So they were counterfeiting actual currency, and they're really good at it. And they got caught, and they said, hey, we'll help you catch other counterfeiters if you let us go. And they're like, okay, sounds good. And so they helped them catch other people who were counterfeiting. Um, uh, Joseph Smith and his family were very much unliked by people who knew him best. Uh, even affidavits were written about Smith and his family by neighbors and could be found on record as they were recorded by the state. Um, some of these say, uh, Joseph Smith baits of exaggeration and untruthfulness. And by reason of the extravagances of his statement, his word was received with the least confidence by those who knew him best. He could utter the most palpable exaggeration or marvelous absurdity with the utmost apparent gravity. Um, now, that is Joseph Smith's like history and where he came from. Now, here's a little bit about uh, how the Mormon church came to be. Uh, according to Joseph Smith, an angel came, either named Nephi or Moroni, the Mormon church We'll use both of them, and sometimes the Mormon church can't agree uh, what the actual name was. But Nephi or Moroni, an angel, appeared to Joseph Smith and showed him where this treasure box or a uh, stone box containing the gold plates uh, of which Mormonism is based upon, where those plates and that box could be found. So an angel shows up, tells him, hey, I can show you where uh, this thing, this this more, more, revelation, uh, more revelation of God can be found. And so he digs it up and it's got a stone box. And inside that box uh, came with uh, a pair of uh, um, gold tablets, which had inscriptions on it, which could not be read by normal man. But fortunately in that box, the stone box, were a pair of magic uh, spectacles and two stones called Urim and Thummim, and the translation process for these gold plates with the inscriptions on it were to either hold the magic spectacles over the text and the text would then be revealed, but only to the prophet Joseph Smith. So only he could read them even though there were these magic spectacles. Now, sometimes these stones that were in the box, uh, or what's it called, uh, Urim and Thummim, uh, sometimes these stones would reveal the text. Now, these stones were... Uh, white and see-through, and so he would also hold these stones over the text to reveal what this sacred text said. Uh, sometimes the text could not be revealed by the stones alone, so the stones then had to go into a top hat, and he would shake them around and look into the top hat and then reveal what the words on the gold plates said. Um, 
So, uh, and possibly it was through some like glowing light in the top hat that these words would then be revealed to the prophet Joseph Smith. So that's a little bit of history about how uh, the church uh, came to be and how it was founded and what its basing uh, principles were. Um, now, uh, or how they came to be. Now, I'm going to go through some of the texts that the Mormon church uh, abides by or believes in. Um, and then first, let me give you a little bit uh, picture of Christianity. If you guys are new, Christian, new to Christianity, welcome. We are glad you are here. Um, but I'm going to give you a little bit of um, what we believe the Bible says. The Bible alone is the word of God, and it is without error. Every word in it was breathed out and inspired by God, and it contains everything one could need to become a person of God. Now, this is laid out in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. It cannot and should not be added to or subtracted from. That's Revelation 22, 18 through 20. Now, <clears throat> the Mormon church, the LDS, uh, the LDS church only upholds certain portions of Scripture— that have been translated by Joseph Smith. They believe other texts, such as the Book of Mormon, the Doctrines and Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price, uh, and the Articles of Faith, have, uh, have the same level of authority as the Bible, or even more authority than the Bible. Now, they still uh, look at the Bible, they still use the Old Testament, they still use the New Testament, but like I said, Joseph Smith decides, uh, has decided which of those texts uh, are applicable to the Mormon faith and have even been added some verses into uh, those Bibles. Now, Joseph Smith then wrote the Book of Mormon, uh, which include the telling of where the plates came from, the encounter with the angel, uh, and then it also has the uh, testimony of three and the testimony of eight, these were people who were close with Joseph Smith, and they themselves said they got to see the gold plates and the magic spectacles and the Urum and Therm Thermum. Uh, now, in these testimonies, it is written that the witnesses say that as far as we can tell, these plates of gold are real and legit. Now, if you think back to his history of uh, counterfeiting, he was very good at making it to be the appearance of real money or real currency or real gold. But this, these witnesses say, uh, and it literally says this in the book, as far as we can tell, these are real. Um, now, in this text, uh, the Book of Mormon, read something like the Old Testament. I went through and read some of it, uh, and it tells the story of an ancient Hebrew patriarch and prophet named Lehi, who in roughly 600 B.C., was called by God to lead a group of Jews from Israel to the New World, to America. Uh, the group established themselves somewhere in North America, and according to the story, at least some uh, Native Americans descended from, the, descended from these immigrants. And eventually, Jesus appeared to these New World Jews and taught the Christian gospel to them. From this civilization, God continued to call forth prophets, including one named Mormon, the original author of the text that would be engraved on plates of gold that Mormons believe Joseph Smith unearthed in the late 1820s. Uh, so that's the Book of Mormon. The book of, uh, they also have Doctrine and Covenants. Uh, if you go through this, 
This is a list of 138 doctrine and covenants. It has all the Mormon doctrine and covenants uh, in it, which are currently listed, uh, but can be revised or added to as seen fit by current LDS prophets. Uh, and the last one that they, the last book that they go through is called The Pearl of Great Price. Uh, this is a book containing side quests that the Bible didn't talk about or stories that were misinterpreted in the Bible. So they have some stories about Moses in there uh, that you will not find in the Old Testament. Uh, some stories about Abraham, again, that you will not find. Uh, some stories about some other people who are not listed in the Bible. Um, and there, then there is literally a book um, called Joseph Smith-Matthew. And it rehashes Matthew a little bit and then strays completely from the text and adds its own verses. Um, their acceptance of continuing uh, revelation um, is still happening, which gives Mormonism uh, or the LDS church um, an open canon. That means that they can continue to add to any of these things which they would like. Um, and I'm going to show you how some of that plays out in what they call the Articles of Faith. The Articles of Faith is 13 articles listing out what their mission is and what their statements are, what they believe. I'm not gonna read all 13 to you, but I'm gonna pull uh, some, of, uh, just some of the key ones that I think are important for us to look at. Uh, some of them are biblically based and are found for scripture, um, but uh, I'm gonna start with number three in the 13 Articles of Faith. Number three says, we believe that through the atonement of Christ, all mankind may be saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. By obedience, they can be saved. Number six says, we believe in the same organization that existed in the primitive church, namely apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, and so forth. They will leave it open-ended so that way you can make your own interpretation. Uh, number seven says, we believe in the gift of tongues, prophecy, revelation, visions, healing, interpretation of tongues, and again, so forth. Uh, this gives them the wiggle room to change or add anything they want without having concrete covenants, especially when they are not found in God's word. But if you are a prophet, then you have the ability to continue to add revelation from God that you deem fit for today. Uh, Number eight says, we believe the Bible to be the word of God as far as it is translated correctly. We also believe the Book of Mormon to be the word of God. Notice that as does not say as far as it is translated correctly at the end there. Number 11 says, we claim the privilege of worshiping Almighty God according to the dictates of our own conscience and allow all men the same privilege. Let them worship how, where, or what they may. So that is found in the Articles of Faith of the LDS Church. Their beliefs. Who is God? Now, uh, again, kind of do some contrasting here. So we uh, at Ecclesia believe uh, that God is an eternal being who has existed forever and was never created. You'll find that in uh, Genesis 1, 1 through 31, and John 1, 1. God eternally existed as the Trinity, which the Bible makes clear is one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Also found John 1, uh, 1 through 2, chapter 14, and 15, verse 26. 
The LDS Church says that God was once a man, uh, but he became God. God has a physical body, and humans can become gods when they die. They believe that before God was God, he was a man before that, and then obtained godhood. What they believe about Jesus and salvation now, we believe that Jesus is one with God the Father, John ten thirty, because he is equal with God. Jesus' perfect life and sacrificial death on the cross were enough to pay for the past and future sins of all mankind, 1 John 2, 2. Salvation is a free gift from the Father given through Jesus, regardless of good works, Romans 5, 8, 6, 23. Repenting and believing that Jesus is God is the only way to salvation. That's what we believe at Ecclesia and what uh, Christianity uh, as a whole believes. The LDS Church says about Jesus and salvation, Jesus is not uh, one with God the Father. There is no trinity. Most significantly, it teaches that when we accept Jesus' death on the cross, we are saved conditionally. This means that we must continue in faith for the rest of our lives and do good works in order to be saved completely. It also teaches that things like baptism are necessary for salvation. Now, we do not believe that baptism is necessary for salvation. We believe that it is a public proclamation that you are saved. Being baptized is yet again a work in itself, and doing so does not uh, promise eternal salvation. Some other beliefs uh, the LDS Church holds. Uh, these key elements of faith include belief um, in modern prophets and continuing revelation, uh, which I already talked about. Belief that through Christ's atonement, all mankind may be saved by obedience to the laws and ordinance of Christ's gospel. Now, they also hold the Mormon temple in high regard and high, and high esteem. It is considered an earthly point of contact with higher spheres of being. Mormons believe that God is present in the temple space. This makes it a sacred place set aside to learn things that allow individuals to progress towards becoming like God. The temple ordinances, especially celestial marriage, make an eternal progression towards Godhood possible. The family unit is central to Mormonism, and the primary ritual function of the temple is to perform ceremonies that seal families together, thus allowing them to dwell together for eternity when they pass on to the celestial kingdom. Sorry, I'm doing a lot of reading here, but I think it is very important to understand exactly uh, where they are coming from uh, in these beliefs. Uh, the specific rituals supporting this function are marriage and family sealing ceremonies in which a husband and wife and children are officially bound together uh, and baptism for the dead they believe that you can be baptized for people who have already died. Though which individuals who died without accepting the Latter-day Saints gospel and no longer possess the physical body required for baptisms are represented by living proxies, thereby granting them the opportunity to join their families in the celestial kingdom. In some sects of Mormonism, they also believe in polygamy or having more than one wife. It is believed that having more than one wife will help you to obtain godhood quicker and they, can, uh, and they then can come and live in your world that you are a god of, uh, and you will be with them for eternity. 
Now, this uh, flies in the face of Matthew 22, and I'm going to read this part here to you. Matthew 22, uh, in verse 23, starts and says, The same day the Sadducees came to him who say that, uh, who say that there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question, saying, they're talking to Jesus, Teacher, Moses said if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. So too, the second and third, down to the seventh. After them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? They're trying to trap Jesus with a riddle, basically. Uh, uh, but Jesus answered them, you are wrong. <laughs> you are wrong. Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now, this passage and this belief, uh, you know, shows that Jesus himself says there is no marriage in heaven. Now, this is sometimes kind of hard to us to understand and comprehend because we are a loving people, right? And we yearn to be with someone. Like God created man and woman. He said it's good for man not to be alone. But the thing is that when we get to heaven, we will be in the presence of God. It will no longer feel incomplete. And that's kind of hard for us to understand, especially if you've been in love or are in love. You're like, I want to be with this person forever. But you guys have to understand that when you are with God, you will not have that, that yearning or desire because you will have the completeness of God in your life. Now, this is the perfect uh, segue into what they believe in the afterlife. Now, what's funny is when I wrote segue to the afterlife, uh, this shows what age we're in because my iPad changed it to segue, like the little motorized scooter that you ride. And I was thinking a segue into the afterlife is the funniest thing I've ever thought of. And I also like to think that God has a sense of humor. So I'm assuming that after this, when I die, I literally will be riding a segue up to heaven to get to him. He'll be like, ha, see, you're right. Just kidding. That's probably not how it happened. But I will laugh if it does. Uh, so the afterlife. Uh, heaven or the afterlife. Now, uh, in Christianity, uh, we say those who trust in Christ as their only hope of salvation are reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians 5.18. They will spend eternity in heaven with God, while those who reject Christ spend an eternity in hell in total separation from God. John 5.24-30. through 30. Uh, the Mormon Church, the LDS, uh, they believe eventually nearly everyone goes to one of three levels of heaven. It also teaches you uh, teaches that after you die, your family members can make amends, like we just talked about, for you so that you can be saved. Only the worst of the worst go to outer darkness. Mormons believe that after death, the spirit leaves the body moves on to the spirit world to wait for resurrection. During this time, those who did not embrace the gospel are segregated from those who lived according to God's word, and the spirits of individuals who never had a chance to hear the gospel are given this opportunity. The plan for salvation teaches that heaven is divided into three separate kingdoms of glory, the celestial, the terrestrial, and the telestial. That's a lot to think about, a lot to comprehend. Those are deep dives that I did not do, uh, but I just wanted to get a basic overview of that. Uh, the LDS president, Lorenzo Snow, said, As man is God once was, 
and as God is man, may become. He is saying as God was once a man, we can also become like God. The Mormon doctrine tells you you can actually obtain Godhood. Now, what I find really interesting about that statement and about that belief is that if you look back to Genesis, when Adam and Eve are in the garden, Satan comes in the form of a serpent in the tree, and he says to them, they say, we cannot eat of this fruit or we will die. And he says, you will surely not die. If you eat of it, you will become like God. This is a very familiar phrasing, a very familiar sentence. And when I hear this, I am reminded of that specific passage. And I'm going to get into that a little bit more here. But here are the points I want you guys to take away from uh, Mormonism tonight. As followers of Christ, as uh, Jesus followers, the Bible has to be our standard of measure. If you start to pick and choose your favorite parts of the Bible or explain away passages from Scripture, the whole thing falls apart. Joseph Smith wrote all the literature for the Mormon church in a 15-year period. God used over 40 different authors from all different walks of life, kings, farmers, physicians, exiles, murderers. They wrote the Bible in over 1,500 years, and it all has the same cohesive message. The Bible is without error and is the living, breathing word of God. God used all of these incomplete, imperfect, different walks of life people to write his word, which he breathed out that is profitable for teaching, for correction, for uh, training in righteousness. He used all these different people over 1,500 years, and it all says the same cohesive message. Joseph Smith wrote these things within 15 years, and it falls apart very quickly if you look at it. The Bible has to be our standard of measure. Number two is to be weary. Be wary of any leader who claims that they have the only, uh, the only true way to God, and you have to follow them to get it or to be enlightened. My wife and I, we love to watch cult documentaries. <laughs> it is addictive. We love to watch it. If we see a new cult documentary come out, we're like, add that to the list. We're watching that tonight. And we will binge watch those things uh, until we're dead. Um, every time that I watch this, it is always the same. It is one person, uh, one person who says that they have this direct connection to God, that they commune with God directly, that they have the power of God inside of them, and that if you want to get closer to God, you have to get closer to them. You have to follow them uh, blindly. You have to submit to their will. Now, you might say, and I'm just playing devil's advocate here, you might say, doesn't that apply to Jesus too? Didn't Jesus make the same claims? You have to understand that Jesus was without sin. He had the power of God in him. He performed miracles and he literally beat death. That is where the distinction is made. He was able to take prophecy written hundreds of years before and fulfill every single one written about him. Now, there are still some prophecies in the Old Testament that have yet to be fulfilled, but because God is true, he will eventually fulfill those. If you guys are uh, attending Sundays, going through Revelation right now, we're going through all this. It's really cool stuff. I 
highly encourage you guys to come. Uh, Joseph Smith was uh, a liar, a cheat, and a fraud with witness testimony and state testimony and evidence to back that up. And he never rose from the grave. The only way to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father is through Jesus. John 14, 5 says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Number three, Satan is cunning. Most evidence points towards uh, Joseph Smith contriving this whole thing all by himself. Like I said, he was a counterfeit and he was a treasure hunter uh, and he was a liar. Uh, but there is a very real possibility that the appearance of an angel happened and gave Joseph Smith a message counter to scripture or an idea. Again, think back to the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve and the serpent. An animal, which Adam had probably just recently named, started talking to Adam and Eve and convinced them without fully contradicting God, but instead twisting God's word to rebel against him and forsake his instructions. Satan himself and the demons, if you guys don't know this, uh, they are actually fallen angels. They can have very beautiful appearances and can be deceiving. Ezekiel 28, 12 says, you were the signet of perfection. This is speaking of Lucifer or Satan. You are the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. He was the most beautiful angel in heaven. And he led the rebellion from heaven and took a third of the angels with him. It is a very real possibility that an angel showed up to Joseph Smith. Now, because God is all-knowing, he knew that something like this was going to happen, and he gave us warnings and instructions for this through his word. 1 John, uh, 1 John 4 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. And then this one is even more um, spot on. Galatians 1.8 says, but even, uh, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Satan is cunning. Be weary. But number four, the most important thing, obedience to Christ is not the pathway to salvation. Christ himself is the pathway to salvation. Obedience is an outpouring of thanks and gratitude for that salvation. It is an act of worship. Obedience is an act of worship. Like Catholicism from last week and this week with Mormonism, salvation cannot be earned through good works. It is not earned through your good works, but it is given by his good works. Romans 10 verse 9 says, Because if you confess, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, 
you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The LDS Church says you have to be a Mormon to be saved. The LDS Church says you have to be obedient to his word to be saved. The LDS Church says this and that and this and that, and they can change anything that they want. God is not a God of confusion. God never changes. His word is true. His word is without error. His word is living and breathing and active. And if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. If you guys have not made that dedication in your life, I highly encourage you to. Your eternity and your salvation depends upon it. And Jesus, God, wants to have that relationship with you guys. Be weary, you guys. Be very aware. Test the spirits. Satan is cunning. He knows how to twist the word. I have people in my life who have literally twisted God's word, who I've known to be strong believers in their life at one point, and yet it's gotten in their heads that they can twist and use God's word the way that they see fit in order to meet their sinful, selfish desires, their gains. I've lost some good friends because I've confronted them and said, this is not what God's word says you are living counter to it. But I also know for myself and my sin and my life how I can just twist it. Oh, I'm saved through grace, so it's fine. Or I, you know, God didn't really mean it this way. It probably means it through this way. And so it's okay if I do this. We all have that ability in our lives to be deceived and to fall away from him. But if you are in God's word, if you are in prayer, and if you are constantly seeking for him in your life, he will lead you down the path of righteousness. Trust in him, follow him every day, and love him with all of your heart.